and welcome to What About Us, a podcast that discusses how policies affect rural Tennesseans. I am Sandy Rice and started the podcast over a year ago and have always loved doing it, but even more so since joining the Tennessee Holler Podcast Network. I'm in such good company. Go to tnholler.com to check out the other podcasts, shows, sign up for the newsletter, and make a donation if you like it. My friends on Grits, Girls Raised in the South, are putting out some great shows. The podcasts are on lots of platforms, so view them or listen to them on your favorite and also on Twitter at the TN Holler. Hey folks, only a few more weeks until the election and things are crazy on the national level, which of course grabs all the headlines. That is why I like to keep the focus on our state government and elections. And that is why I have interviewed rural candidates all over the state for Senate and House seats. I have been so excited about their ideas and work ethic to talk with constituents by phone and with masks and social distancing. We're going to do something a little bit different today. My guest is Elizabeth Madeira, who's running for State House in District 63. Now that's in Williamson County. Hi, Liz. Hi. You are very familiar with the Tennessee Holler because you like yes. to do these interviews. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Listen, we, I follow the holler. Follow the holler. Am I supposed to say it with the RMN? <laughs> and you do a great job. You do a great job. So listeners, you remember a few weeks ago, uh, we talked to Carol Abney in District 38, which has several uh, distressed counties in it. And that's the bottom 10% economically in the country. Now, Williamson was the only county in Tennessee in the top 10% economically in the country. So Elizabeth, why would we want to talk to you? Well, um, well, I think first of all, because I'm running against Glenn Cassida, who has historically made it this, you know, put all the counties in Tennessee at risk. That's right. Okay. You've got some great ideas. Uh, of your own, and we're going to talk about those, but this is, we just can't pass this up. <laughs> so Glenn, Cassida, is that how you yeah, say it? Yeah, I think it's Cassida, even before he was the Speaker of the House, and especially when he was the Speaker, holds so much power and influence, right. and his pack, I mean, his pack, the Cass pack, spends tens of thousands of dollars on all kinds of races. I mean, he has hundreds of thousands of dollars in it, but he has the ability then to use that pack to spend in all these rural races. Um, I know he, oh. um, so he will, whenever there is a seat that he thinks is in danger of flipping to a Democrat, he'll send, his pack will send a bunch of attack ads against the Democratic opponent yeah. to those spots, so. Okay, well he, he used that money for some personal things, but we're not gonna talk about that today. <laughs> um, we're going to talk about school, uh, school vouchers and the things that he did, the methods he used to get it passed. Now, we talk a lot about vouchers on this program because, you know, it's state money for private schools in two counties in our biggest cities. And our rural candidates and constituents think it's bad because we need money for our schools and teachers. We have a low tax base. We have a, a smaller population. We have a lot of poverty in our rural communities. We have poor broadband. Um, and it's hard to, to raise money to make the, the ends uh, meet. But this guy is running for office again, not Speaker of the House. But, you know, I, and, I, and I just, you know, here's the thing. People have short memories around election time. 
they may vote for someone because the name sounds familiar or the party they belong to. But Tennessee Holler fans, we don't forget. <laughs> we're not going to forget and we're going to hold our elected officials accountable because we want a more transparent government and things are getting kind of shuttled along on the state level. I'm not going to the national level because we're going to stay here at home. Yeah, the whole voucher bill, it feels like um, as much as we know, and as I was even preparing to talk about it in detail on this podcast, I mean, we know that the FBI has investigated it. We don't know if it's ongoing. They won't answer if it's a completed investigation or not, but it just feels like, goodness, there's probably so much that we don't even know about what went into this voucher bill. And it's really unfortunate that it seems like Glenn, Representative Cassida, and also Bill Lee have just been so focused and determined to take public school funds and move it to private schools in the form of this educational savings account. Um, now, it didn't you know, pass for many years. Right. Well, I think that's because rural representatives realize how important the public schools are. And they, it's also, they know how valuable those resources are. Um, I don't know how many people are familiar, but the Tennessee State House actually has, especially in recent years, historically, is part of the budget, Pat included unfunded mandates for our public schools. So they want class sizes to be a certain way. They want a certain number of teachers, which I think is all great, but they haven't committed at the state level to funding the schools appropriately. Like independent studies will say that in order to appropriately fund our public schools better, they we need at the state level like $1.5 billion to okay. get them to where they need to be. But instead of doing that, what happens is they end up passing the buck to local municipalities, local cities, towns, villages to recoup the rest of the money they need that the state is not providing for the schools. And so that, and, and of course, how do local places raise taxes? Well, a lot of times property taxes or raising the sales tax. And so we end up getting that tax burden just through a different, through a different route because the Tennessee state house is passing the buck. So I think that's something we have to talk about in the first place is why does it seem like our schools don't have the resources they need? And that's a big part of why that is. Well, $1.5 billion is very close to our rainy day fund of $1.2 billion. <laughs> that's right. And not to mention there's actually, and there's not very much reporting on this, which is interesting and a shame, but there's even, <clears throat> if you total up how much is sitting in different state accounts for all the various different departments that was given to them and hasn't been spent. We, we're working with over $3 billion, really, that is just sitting there allocated and isn't being spent where it needs to be. And communities are struggling. Like you talked to Carol Abney in her, in her district, those schools are struggling, the community's struggling, they don't have access to, they don't have access to healthcare, let alone affordable healthcare. And it's really a shame that, that um, we, they're not, to me, it's not fiscally responsible responsible to let those funds sit there and not spend them where they need to. Well, I think there might be some COVID funds just kind of laying around too. The uh, vouchers, because they were called vouchers, didn't get passed for you know for whatever reason for several years. But this year, you know, this year it did, and so you're saying, and I think I sense that too. Push, 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 mm -hmm. by Governor Lee. I, I'm not, I'm not sure how or when or why 
he was going to make it go through against all odds. But how did it finally go through? Well, well first of all, why did so many country, countries, counties reject the vouchers? What was, the, was such a bad deal about it? Yeah, well, I think that, um, I think that most representatives knew it wasn't a great idea. They didn't want it to affect their own district because we're all very protective of our public schools and rightfully so because it's how do we get a qualified workforce in our communities while making sure we train them and give them a good education in K through 12. And so what the voucher program would do is take, um, it was just limited in Davidson County and Shelby County that if there was a failing school then parents to send their kids to that school would have the option of applying for this educational savings account, which would give them $8,000 per student to go spend in a private school. Um, and it's kind of marketed by a lot of the representatives, including, including Glenn, as, oh, this gives extra choice to parents who are in a failing school so their kids can get out of this failing school and they have a good opportunity. And, while um, that sounds okay on paper to some people, when you're that, it's not like that money is just in addition to what we're giving our public schools. That's going to come from what is supposed to be allocated to our public schools. So if you have what we would consider, you know, what would be technically considered a failing school, mm -hmm. and you're just, which means that they're probably struggling to get resources, struggling to hire teachers and keep teachers, and struggling to have the technology they need, or even the books and the pencils that they need. And that's probably, it's all connected. And if we're just going to decide that it's, label it as failing, and then kids start leaving that school, and $8,000 per student is taken from that school, well, then they're really not going to have the resources that they need. Mm -hmm. um, and so we're just, then that's making the whole situation worse for the remaining students there. Not to mention that even though $8,000 is a lot of money. It's um, not enough. No, it doesn't even cover private tuition in private schools in Memphis and Nashville. So it wouldn't, even, even if the representatives were being genuine and that being their reason for this bill and this plan, it doesn't, it doesn't even target or help the students they claim it's meant to help. Instead, it's going to help middle-class families, middle-upper-class families who are zoned for failing schools to say, oh, look, I have, you know, now all I have to do is add an additional five or $8,000 to send my kid to private school instead of the, you know, the full $16,000 a year it costs. So it's not, so there's just so many flaws in the system that it feels, I mean, it's no wonder that it got rejected year after year. Mm -hmm. And it's also no wonder the only reason it got pushed through last year was, you know, Glenn, after it failed by, it needed at least one more vote. And he held the floor open for 40 minutes while he, as chief of staff, and I don't know who else, but I'm guessing the FBI knows now, mm -hmm. um, is whose arm they were twisting in back rooms. And finally, a representative from Knoxville agreed, but only if it didn't affect his district. Right. And I think, like, if you agree to, if you, you know, vote in favor of a bill because it's not going to affect your district, maybe that tells, that should tell you how bad of a bill it is. Right, right. You know, that if you, if you want it to only affect other people and not you, then that goes to show that it's, you know, don't we say what's good for the goose is good for the gander? Right. So if it's not good for the goose, it's not good for the gander. Right, right. Yeah, well, and they, so so it went through, I think it's been declared unconstitutional. Governor yes. Lee still wants it. He was trying to, you know, make it, impl uh, 
have it implemented uh, even earlier. There's, it's just, it's just been a, 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 a big mess. Yeah. And I think now there's been some comments about um, to try to reverse it is that whoever your representative was in January of this year, they, and they're, if they're in the GOP, they caved. Mm. Right. Okay. So, so they're not yeah. looking out for you. And that's my thing about transparency. And, mm-hmm. and I think the people got to their representatives and said, but this will not stand. I mean, there was some other, you know, kind of personal things that weren't quite, um, weren't, they just weren't right, right. to conduct yourself. And mm-hmm. when you've taken a pledge to, uh, good people of Tennessee, but anyway, so they they finally got him to step down. I know there was a, a kind of a, a there's another representative that was forced to step down from a, a chairman of education committee, and I'm interested in a, a, a Senate race uh, in Nashville that that somebody's been up to some bad business and to see if he is if he is reelected again. There's been a lot of uh, frustration with the lack of can- uh, transparency in the state. We know it, we don't know it, and, you know, things are just different. And and um, I just don't think we should put up with it. Right, right, I agree, I agree. Yeah, and I think, um, <clears throat> I don't know, I know that the FBI was investigating this voucher bill for possible bribery, like trading favors for votes. Um, I obviously am, I'm not in communication with the FBI and when people have tried to reach out to see what the status is, they give no comment. So we really don't know if they're done and decided nothing was untoward or if it's an ongoing investigation where they're still looking into it. So, but I do know that obviously there was a lawsuit against it saying that it was unconstitutional, which um, I believe her name was Judge Anne. Oh goodness, I'm not gonna remember her last name, but she was a judge in Nashville and she said it was unconstitutional. But then Billy um, still pushed for it to start going into effect. And so they, they sent out signups for people to sign up for the educational savings account plan. That's what the ESA stands for. And um, they, they, didn't, they actually didn't even really get very many people signing up. So it doesn't seem like it's all that popular among the constituents either, but um, still tried to do it. And then again, another lawsuit that went to say, no, if it's deemed unconstitutional, you can't go ahead forward with, you can't go ahead and continue to act down the bill. But to appeal it. I mean, I think we have lots of stuff on appeal and appeals cost money. Right. So that's, yeah. that's more money going to something that doesn't you know, benefit the majority. Right. Of and then, yeah, exactly. Like you said, when they keep up, when they, so then they appealed, which then we just got the, the ruling last week that yes, it is unconstitutional. So the highest level, and I surely, I surely hope that they don't bring it up to the Supreme Court. But I know that Bill Lee and Glenn Cassida have mentioned that they would like to, you know, go back to the drawing board and draft a bill, a voucher bill that will not be as susceptible to legal challenges. So it doesn't seem, even if this can't go into effect, which it shouldn't at this point, um, you know, we're still in they're still putting our school and our school funding in danger by continuing to pursue something like this. So right, right. that's why I think it's really important that we, you know, break the supermajority stronghold of Republicans in the state right. house and Senate, because right. it's really what happens when we have federal government or state government at any level where it's a supermajority like that is you just lose all sense of accountability. And mm. um, there's, 
then nothing has to be bipartisan anymore. You don't have to, um, you don't have to compromise and then you can kind of run with whatever your idea is. And I think that's why it's important that people pay attention to these state races. And I know, like you said, people um, may say, well, Williamson County is definitely not a low income county by any stretch and neither is my district, but we do have some rural parts but I think what people, what we need to realize is at the state level, whoever is elected all across the state, and it matters to all of us in Tennessee who wins every single race, because yes. all of them have that, that chance and the opportunity to block or pass legislation that affects the whole state. Mm-hmm. So we can't, um, that's why I think it's important for us to pay attention to every statewide race. And I think what we all, what people tend to, like you said at the beginning, get really focused on the national news because it's Mm -hmm. dramatic and you can watch it all day long on cable news, which I don't recommend for anyone's (laughs) mental health. (laughs) But I think that, you know, what happened, you know, what happens with our schools, what happens with our local hospitals and our healthcare and whether or not we can pay our medical bills. So much of that is coming from the state house and we need to get more people to pay attention and tune in and actually hold our representatives accountable. Like when I've looked through a lot of the votes that Glenn, a lot of Glenn's votes, I think, golly, if only this, these constituents knew what he was passing, mm-hmm. they would think, well, that's not something that we agree with, but we, um, we tend to give these incumbents a pass if they have the letter, the R beside their name that a lot of people will just continue mm-hmm. to vote for. But, right. But that doesn't mean that they're passing things that are actually in the community's best interest. That's right. Right. Well, you know, I'm going to jump to my conclusion, not because we're done, because I still (laughs) want to get back to what you're going to do, is that um, we need change in the General Assembly. It's it's too much of a club, men's club, even even the women. I'm represented by two women in, in the state. And if they are not in the club, they want to be because they vote with the GOP block, the supermajority block every time. They never step out for women or family issues like schools and education, among other things. And the club is arrogant. They're superior. They cover up for their members. They answer to each other, not to us. And I'm surprised um, they got uh, Glenn to step down. I think the people broke through. Um, to their representatives finally, or maybe directly, or to the governor. I, I don't know. You know. So we have a super majority in both the state house and the Senate. We need some new ideas and some balance. You know, Tennessee is falling in too many, failing in too many things. Um, I'm not going to harp on the statistics that start with a four out of 50 states, you know, 43, 46, whatever, in health and education. Um, you know, sure, we have the haven or we're the, you know, we're the poster child for big corporations moving in for jobs, car manufacturing. Uh, we get listed as, you know, being a, one of the most financial stable states, uh, financially stable states in the country. But, but I don't think our house is in order. I don't think we're thinking about our children and children are our future. We've got the problem identified, I think. Liz, what are you going to do for it when you get to Nashville? Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think it, I also think it's good to point out that I'm not naive and knowing if I get to the state house that, that there's all of a sudden not going to be a Democratic majority. Well, it, you know, ready to pass all kinds of measures. But I think there's a whole lot to be said for, first of all, being able to block dangerous bills, you know, to block things like a future voucher bill, 
because one less vote for that, just think of what happened last year. If there had been one less person that voted, it wouldn't have passed. Right. So I think one vote means a lot uh, for blocking dangerous legislation. And then also and committee and committee work too. And committee, yes, it doesn't even get out there. Right. And I actually talk, I mean, and this is a different topic, but I was talking to some folks at Moms Demand Action last night and we were talking about how so many bills don't ever get out of a committee because there's just one Democrat on them. Um, and ones that will keep our, you know, help keep our community safe. And again, if we have something for like an education bill that protects school funding or that makes sure that teacher raises get included, because how are we going to keep a strong teacher workforce if we're not giving them raises? If they, you know, teachers are professionals and they have at least bachelor's degrees, many of them with master's degrees. And if we, um, you know, if we're not paying them appropriately, they will find another career. We already have a teacher shortage in Tennessee. So, yeah, but if if we can get two Democrat, more Democrats on an education committee or healthcare committees to get things out of the committee and bring to the floor for a vote, mm -hmm. then we can pass things like Medicaid expansion and protect public school funding, making sure we have funding that protects our public schools, so. Yeah, my only action plan is vote, vote early. Um, I don't do this podcast to discourage people or frustrate them into giving up and not voting. Um, if you requested an absentee ballot, fill it out and send it now. If you're voting in person, vote early. If you're voting on election day, plan your day now. Request time off from work, write it down, fix your lunch, gas up the car, whatever it takes. Right. I know I, I have friends that are planning to vote on election day and I said, listen, there's a chance you could get COVID. So if you don't have COVID October 14th, 15th, 16th, you should go ahead and vote. <laughs> so, yep, you know, um, suit up, suit mm -hmm. up, put your mask on, your gloves, you know, hazmat suit, just whatever, uh, yeah. rubber sheet. But um, Liz, anything else to add? Yeah, well, and I would just say... Thank you to everybody for tuning in and talk to your neighbors, talk to your friends about what your representatives have passed in the state house, because chances are they don't know. They just have paid attention to the loud, splashy ads or like we've talked about for the R by their name. And let's hold that. Let's hold our representatives accountable and bring their bad votes to light so that people know that they're voting to sell out our public school funding and other things like that, because we need representatives that actually care about and represent the people in their communities mm -hmm. and want to do right by them and not just do what's right for themselves and their special interest groups. And their club. Exactly. Yeah. How, can, how can people get in touch with you in your campaign and make a donation? Yes. So everything is through my website, Elizabeth4TN, like Elizabeth for Tennessee. Um, but we just shorten the TN. Um, you can sign up, volunteer. We have folks that have texted and phone bank from everywhere across the state and even the country, really. So especially during COVID, we're not bound by our locations to volunteer. So everything helps. And of course, if you have um, a Democrat running in your district, feel free to reach out to their campaigns too. Carol Abney is a splendid person and a wonderful candidate. And so anything we any help we can throw her way and other folks all across the state it's we're all we're all on the same team to if we're on the team of actually helping tennesseans yeah i think we could i think that we could do some straight uh, some great things with just with a little 
you know, balance and openness and just kind of, uh, um, and if, if you, if you're not sure about doing the research or trying to, you know, keep up with what's happened, especially this last year, finally, they stopped subjecting us to, um, legislative sessions, but <laughs> in my opinion, they didn't do a whole lot of work, uh, while they were, um, they were up there, go to the Tennessee holler. I mean, the podcast, you know, we try to, you know, emphasize things, but the, um, but what Justin Canoe does and Cassie Jackson um, and the, the newsletter, I mean, they, and it's, I'm going to say it's enjoyable. I mean, in, in the way that it's, it's sad and frustrating and, but it's, it's, it's funny. It's, it's, it's a funny way to learn with clips and what's happened and you won't, I mean, you won't believe your eyes folks. Right. <laughs> but, and, and I've never, I've never felt that they, said anything that was un, untrue I mean they're they're kind of showing the the truth and if you don't believe it's true it's often right there in quotes right on video yes so and like yeah you don't have to go into a deep dive into the state website to figure out how they voted you yes you can tune into the holler your podcast and the other ones on here to see what they're up to so I'm really grateful to that Justin started the holler because we need more accountability here in Tennessee. Right. right. Elizabeth, thank you so much. The best of luck to you. Thanks to Tennessee thank Holler for having us supporting us. And uh um it's only a couple more weeks. <laughs> I know we're getting in the final the final countdown. And thank you so much, Sandra, for all you do um, okay. all the work for your podcast and keeping us all informed and in the loop. Okay, thank you. Thank you.